This morning, we are going to be we are going to begin our series in 1 Samuel. It is on page 225, I'm pretty sure, in your pew Bible if you want to look that up there. One of our artists in residence has supplied the sermon series art for this series. That was done by Victoria Sparkman. Didn't you tell me that it is your favorite piece you've ever done? Thank you for blessing us with it. Truly beautiful. First Samuel will take us through Palm Sunday, I believe. So it's a series, it's a book that could last for a really long time, but we're not going to make it last for a really long time, but hopefully... The passages will be short enough and direct direct enough that you'll get a good sense of what the Lord is saying to us through this Old Testament book. I'm entitling the series, Your Kingdom Come, because even though that's a phrase from the Lord's Prayer in in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, that's the sense of what we're looking at as we read through 1 Samuel. The people of Israel... We're waiting for a king. We have our king, but we are also waiting for his kingdom to further come. So that is the name of the series title. It's also the name of title of my sermon this morning. With that, let me pray. And Lord, we do pray that as you have gathered our souls here this morning, our hearts would be shaped to the place where we can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, please use your word to form your people today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. The God of the Bible, our God, has a special pattern of glorifying himself and forming a people who find their joy in him. By glorifying himself, I mean he, God, being worshipped as king of kings. By forming a people who find their joy in him, I mean birthing a family who gladly worships God as the king of kings. So to restate, our God of the Bible sets forth a special pattern of birthing a family who gladly, joyfully worships him as the glorious king of kings. What is this special pattern that we'll be approaching this morning? Barrenness. Infertility. The inability of a woman to bear children. In Genesis, though Abraham was promised descendants, like the sand on the seashore, the stars in the night sky, his wife Sarah remained barren into her old age until God promised and then gave her and Abraham a son, Isaac. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was barren 
until God answered Isaac's prayer in Genesis 25. And Rebekah gave birth to Esau and Jacob. Jacob had two wives. We won't get into that for right now. Jacob had two wives, and they were sisters even. Leah, Leah, whose womb the Lord opened because, strangely enough, Jacob hated her. And her sister rival, Rachel, who was barren until the Lord opened her womb to bear Joseph and Benjamin. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And after giving birth to Joseph, Rachel exclaimed, God has taken away my reproach. And really, you know, when we start talking about barrenness and infertility, miscarriage, I know there are a number of you in here that as women and as couples have experienced those things, perhaps are experiencing them this morning. And there may may even be quite a number of you who have, and I don't even know. Maybe no one else in our church does. Because there can be this sense of reproach, shame. Why am I not good enough in this area? As we begin our series in 1 Samuel this morning, the book begins in the time of the judges. As we began the series on Ruth, also in the time of the judges, we go back to the very end of that book where the author of Judges says, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Then as we read in Ruth, Ruth following Judges in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament that Jesus would have known, Ruth, at the very beginning of that book, that story, it anticipates a king. As Naomi's husband, Elimelech, means God is my king. And then we see as the story progresses that eventually Ruth, the wife of Boaz, gives birth to Obed. And Obed's son is Jesse, and Jesse's son is then King David. A king came from Ruth, who came from Naomi, who Naomi was in a sense made barren as her two sons died. 1 Samuel, in the Hebrew Scriptures, directly follows Judges. So for the Israelites, they would have read Judges and it would have gone right into 1 Samuel. So there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then as we get into 1 Samuel, there was a certain man, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man. This word for a certain man, it only happens one other time in the Old Testament. And it actually is pointing to Manoah, who is Samson's father. So the the Israelite reader would have been reading this. When there was a certain man before, there was a mighty judge who came. And in the same way, maybe 
God will provide us a king, a mighty king judge. So we read here that there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohom, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. Elkanah means God has created. Would God be creating a king for his people, Israel? However, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, his first wife, and the name of the second was Penina. Hannah meaning favored. Penina meaning fruitful. Penina had children. Hannah, though favored, had no children. If the king was coming, probably wasn't coming through Hannah. This morning I'm going to read chapter 1 straight through, but I would like you to think on a couple of questions as I read it. Who is the king? Because this is a royal narrative that we are getting into in 1 Samuel and also 2 Samuel, though we won't go into 2 Samuel in this series. This is a royal narrative leading towards a king, towards kings. Who is the king? And number two, how does the king reveal and accomplish his will? So join me again in here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We'll go to verse 3 now. Now this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year from, this, from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. At Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Pause. Did you see how it said there in verse 3? He used to go up year by year. And then here in verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, this was an annual ritual, an annual pattern, something that happened every year. On that day, he would give portions to Penina and his wife and to all her sons and daughters, the fruitful one. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And then it takes a sinister shift. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Hannah experiencing 
year after year after year, going to make the covenant sacrifices, living under the hesed kindness of God. Yet in her life, she knew barrenness. She knew lack. And she knew a rival who continually, year after year after year, provoked her, even as they were sacrificing to God. But Elkanah loved her and asked, Why do you weep? And perhaps a bit obtusely says, Am I not more to you than ten sons? That's the pattern. And then we come to a specific year. A specific time there making the sacrifice. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice. This is likely the next year. And to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only... May the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. 
And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. As we see this royal narrative develop, the purpose of this first chapter and a half is to directly establish who the true king of Israel is. Beyond their politics, beyond their asking, And by the way, the asking that happens here through Hannah, Samuel also meaning ask, that word is not used again until Israel asks for a king. And the king they ask for is a man named Saul. And his his name also is related to the word ask. God wants no confusion. Regardless of what they ask for, regardless of what their political hopes and dreams to be established as a nation and as a people to be like their neighbors are, he has been and he always will be their true king. Needs to get that straight from the start. So who is the king here? Definitely the Lord. It is the Lord who in his sovereignty closes Hannah's womb. Though favored, he closes Hannah's womb. Those things don't seem to compute in our minds. If I am favored of the Lord, should not everything be good? But the Lord sovereignly closes Hannah's womb. And it even says, because the Lord closed her womb, she gets a double portion from her husband. God has sovereignly given her a husband who, though perhaps a bit clueless, obtuse, maybe isn't quite understanding his role in loving and leading his wife here, especially through the trial of barrenness. He loves her. He truly does. He provides for her. But at the same time, the Lord in his sovereignty has made her wait year after year after year. Will the waiting ever end? Will she ultimately be a woman, a wife, who does not bear her husband any sons. As Jake mentioned a few weeks ago, who in a sense 
does not fully participate in the covenant people of Israel because she has not born a son who could be the one, capital O, could be the Messiah. And so in a sense, she feels that she is an outsider, which Panina, not so delicately, but instead as a rival, reminds her of frequently. And even before the house of the Lord at Shiloh, you are a barren woman, mocking her. So who is the king? He is the Lord. And his sovereignty is not necessarily showing favor in the way that we would often describe favor. Is he actually being good to Hannah, the barren wife? Yet Hannah has faith in her king. How does the king reveal and accomplish his will? By his word. Specifically, through the purposes of his word. His purposes and his promises. From creation onward, God always sets forth his purposes and forms his people by his speaking. Gives birth to his family through his word. As I mentioned Abraham earlier, Abraham was promised, your descendants will be like the stars of the night sky, like the sand on the seashore. They will be, though you are old and your wife is old and barren, you will be, and your descendants will bless the entire earth. That was the word of his promise. Elkanah, again, who means God has created, after Samuel is born, he understands there's a need for Hannah to keep her vow. It seems like this vow has now become his vow as well. She vowed a vow, promising to bring their son, if God gave them a son, back to be in the presence of the Lord forever. And now Elkanah, as her husband, says, this is our son. This is our vow together now. But then she doesn't take him. And he says, just make sure that the Lord establishes his word. Keep your vow, my wife. But maybe he's grown a little bit understanding his wife because he says, whatever seems best to you, you should do. So we have this son now, Samuel. And you're going to see in the coming days that Samuel is a judge prophet who hears and then speaks the word of the Lord. And this sets him apart from, say, Samson. Samson, born to a woman who was barren, is then given great fleshly strength and he has great fleshly weakness, if you know the story. He was a Nazarite. He could not drink wine and he could not cut his hair. It seems that this is also a Nazarite vow that Hannah makes. Because she says, no razor shall touch 
his head. Interestingly enough, in the chronology of this time period, Samuel and Samson may have been alive at the same time, just in different places in Israel. If you go back and read the book of Judges, not everything happens universally throughout all Israel. There are locales of these judges, locales of the judgment that God, that God brings on for the people's unfaithfulness. So perhaps you have in one part of Israel a man who is strong and also very weak. And in another part of Israel you have a man who hears the call of the Lord and his strength is in his word. And he proclaims it strongly as we're going to see over and over and over again. God's purposes, his plans, his will are always good and wise. And the, the purposes and the will of the king will always prevail for the glory of his reign and for the joy of his people. To which you may say, so what about Hannah? Poor Hannah. The favored one who seems to be extremely unfavored. What was God's purpose for her. Oh, for his people, it is always favor. Even in suffering, even in waiting, it is always favor. Year after year after year, what was Hannah doing? Waiting. Trusting. His loving kindness. His timing. His sovereign heart and praying. God, her king, was tenderly, intimately, wisely taking Hannah's heart and forming it to be more like his. To trust him. To yield to him and to love him. If we would fast forward in our Bibles a bit, just as Samuel enters into Israel's history to prepare the way for a king, when the word and the will of the true king were not being heeded, so John the Baptist, after 400 years of God's silence to his people, we're talking between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years of silence, no prophets, no scribes that were bringing anything new. After 400 years of wordless barrenness in Israel, the son of a barren woman is John the Baptist. The son of this barren woman and her old husband. And his message from the Lord is what? To prepare the way for the Lord, the king. And then we hear from the king himself. The king himself is not the son of a barren woman, but even more crazy, even more beautiful, he is the son of a virgin, of whom it had been said, she shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God 
with us. It was told to this virgin's soon-to-be husband, Joseph, by an angel, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. Mary then sings the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. I won't sing it for you. But here's here are the first two verses. Because it's meant to echo the song that Hannah is about to sing in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. God chose to reveal and accomplish his will, not just through his word given to a judge prophet like Samuel, but by sending his son, the word made flesh, to accomplish his will and speak new creation into existence. See, we as humans in the fall are spiritually barren people. Wild at heart, dry of soul, dead in our sins and our trespasses. Nothing alive can come out of us on our own. We are unable to bear the fruit of obedient worship of the sovereign King and Creator. Yet God in His grace even in our barrenness, he has given us his son. That he might be the first among many brothers and sisters. My friend, perhaps you are hearing this good news this morning for the first time. Or it is dropping in your soul for the first time this morning. And you are thinking... I need to be made new. More than a New Year's resolution, more than a change in my behavior, more than good habits or self-actualization, I am seeing that I cannot escape from my own barrenness. As I had lunch with a friend the other day who's not a Christian yet, and I was seeking ways to share the gospel with him, he said, I am a shell of the man who I thought I was going to be. My friend, maybe that is you this morning. Take heart. The Bible says that we all need to be made new. To be forgiven and to have the beauty of being formed in to God's family, adopted as sons and daughters. Please know that the God, that God the Father sent his son to be the Savior King. A king who died for rebels like you and me, who enjoy the wilderness. We enjoy our solitude and barrenness because it's all that we've known until the Spirit says, you're dead and you need to be made alive. We can be forgiven for our treason. 
would you offer yourself to him so that you will now be in his presence forever, forgiven, clean, and part of his family. This is the gospel that the king came to bring. And you may say, there's no way, there's no way that he could take away the stuff that I've tried to fill my empty shell with. Oh, there's a way. There's a way. He came to live the life that you never could and never would. And he went to the cross, the place where I and you and we should be hanging on. And he said, I will go there instead. And then he said, and then he did. I will rise again, and he did. Not just to say, as great as it is, that your sins are forgiven, but to say, and now you have new life in me. And just as I will be resurrected one day, you can have that life now, and you will have that life then. This is the joy of the gospel. To know Christ. He is the king. He answers the question, who is the king? The Lord Jesus Christ. How does the king reveal and accomplish his will? By his word, through himself. Last question is this. Whose people will prevail? Christ's. Christ the king's. These people are a forgiven people. They have no debt before the Father. There is no guilt or shame in them anymore. Though they may feel it before the Father, there is no longer guilt or shame in them. They are people of the King, siblings in the family of God who love one another. They have been greatly loved and they show great love to one another. And they're people of the king who boast. Not in themselves, but in Christ, their king. And they boast in a number of ways. But I'm going to stick with the passage here. They boast in song. They boast in singing. Let me read to you Hannah's song. Again, I won't sing it. Chapter 2. There will be theological themes that she sings about here that are going to be played out throughout the rest of the book. But for now, listen and rejoice. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, and there is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly, Penina. 
Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The, bows of the, mo- the bows of the, mi- of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, for she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. If for, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Hannah is boasting in him. Do you sing? And I actually mean that question. When you're here on a Sunday morning, do you sing? Our songs are meant to proclaim the gospel, to worship him, and to proclaim it to one another. If you are not singing, you are missing out on a way for God to form you as he has formed Hannah. To engage your emotions like David and others did through 150 psalms. But I don't just mean here. Do you sing during the week? What is your playlist or playlists? Do you have music that is pointing your heart to the king? Because when things are tough and you feel unfavored you need to be reminded of the gospel you know we put on the bulletin every week the songs that we're singing if you if you're like i don't know how to access those songs get on youtube look up those songs then they're going to suggest more songs on the side pretty soon you'll be listening to some good stuff Allow the Lord to bring your heart to a place often of rejoicing and boasting in Him during your week. And you will find on Sundays a heart that is ready to rejoice and to boast in Him with His family. The people of the King are forgiven. They're siblings who love Him and love one another. They boast in song because they boast in their king. But the people of the king also suffer in prayer. And this is where we'll wrap up this morning. How did Hannah pray? She prayed 
desperately, longing. She prayed honestly, begging. Did she pray selfishly? Maybe. In all those years leading up to what we read about her here, what was the content of her prayers? What were her responses to Panina? Did any of the bitterness that she felt towards her get projected onto her king? We don't know. But we know ourselves. We know that we can grow weary in prayer. We know that we can say, God has not answered this yet. I'm going to back burner it for a while. Is he actually listening to me? Or is my suffering, in a sense, showing that I'm not actually his? I'm not actually favored. I'm not actually loved. Perhaps he has some sort of agenda against me. Can I just say this? If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. And what did the Father say about Jesus Christ? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You and I are not favored so that we can hashtag bless. You and I are not favored because of our obedience because of our goodness, our talents, our spiritual gifts, our performance, our wealth, or lack thereof, either we're great or we're humble, whatever it may be. None of that. We are favored because Christ is favored. And his grace has saved us. And so we honestly come to the Father and it changes the way that we look at our suffering. Go back and read Romans 8 that Stoller read earlier. We are his sons provided we suffer with him. There is no prosperity in terms of what you can measure in your bank account, your fame, your friends, whatever it may be, that the gospel says, oh yeah, certainly. There is a humility that says all good gifts come from above from the Father of lights, of whom there is no shifting or shadow of change. In Christ, we are favored. And so we can come and we can say, I am suffering right now. I am begging you, Father. Say, yes, son and daughter, I hear you. I'm protecting you from evil with my rod and my staff. You are mine. Nothing that comes against you has escaped my sovereign purview. Providentially, this is actually for your good. Because like Hannah, you and I, brother and sister, are being formed delicately, intricately, wisely, precisely, more and more into the image of his son that he might be the first of many brothers. So bring your suffering to him. But as Samuel Rutherford says, 
Know that Christ is in your boat when the storm is storming. And instead of fearing, throw up the sails and let the winds of his providence direct your ship. That ship may be battered, but it will arrive where it is meant to arrive. So this morning, if you are truly struggling with barrenness, infertility, miscarriages, trust your king who loves you and gave himself for you. Your pain, your loss, your unfulfilled hopes are known by him. And I want to say this tenderly, they are from him as they were for Hannah. Does that mean that you will receive your desire of children? Perhaps not. But you will, re- desire, you will receive your desire of more of him. Perhaps you're struggling this morning with infertility in your prayers. You have kids that you desire to know Christ. Say, my greatest hope is that they would know Christ. Yes. Oh, for the grace to embrace the crosses that Christ gives us. Because it is in those crosses of barrenness, hypochondria. Perhaps you see your singleness as a cross. Perhaps you see your marriage as a cross. Your chronic fatigue syndrome, your chronic illness, the cancer that you might not even know that you have yet. We will bear them as Christians, following Christ with the crosses who he, as he carries the cross, and we carry the smaller ones he has given us that identify us as his. We redefine, he redefines our sufferings as graces from him. I know you need to die to your flesh. I know you need to be further formed. And this is the perfect way to do it. One last thing. What changed in Hannah? What changed in Hannah? Hannah went from being a long-suffering, praying, even persecuted, barren woman. And now you might say, what changed is that she had a kid. I'm saying what changed at her heart level. She said, this son if the Lord gives him to me, is not my own. He's his. We're going to spend some time praying together after we've taken the communion elements. Would you consider praying either silently or aloud? Perhaps prayers that you have felt are infertile. Prayers that are vexing you. Things that are vexing you that you have not prayed about for a while. But as Hannah said to Eli, I'm just pouring out my heart. But perhaps you need to begin praying those prayers a bit more exactly. 
that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. And that's not a thing of like resignation. I really want this, but God, may your will be done. No, the grace of saying, I pray for this. I ask for this. But King, you are the one that has given yourself for me. How would you not then give me everything else that you know I need and my will doesn't always know it perfectly? May your will be done. My, may my will be lessened. That your kingdom would come. That is what changed in Hannah. By God's grace, he gave her this change in understanding. It said, this is not about me having kids. This is about the will of the king. She did not resign herself, but she relinquished her hold. And then God did what he did. <laughs>